All right. Let's gather together. So why all the questions? Why all the questions, Andy? Anybody have a guess why all those questions? Yeah, why all the questions? Anybody have an idea why I would ask those questions? That's a really great answer. Yeah, yeah. That's the reason. That's, it's, we're going to multiple choice. That's A, and it's, it's going to be any other, any other reasons. They, they point to the heart of the series, like where we've been traveling through in their own way. Um, this series feels like a, kind of like a, a life opus for me. Um, it's a big deal. It's kind of a big deal for me of these rhythms of Jesus that matter, and those questions kind of point to that as you flow through them. Um, they're just uh, very contextualized, as we talked about last week. Uh, and there's been a framework within the series that was introduced and repeated almost every week. I just want to walk through that framework because we're coming towards the end. And I think the framework matters, particularly when we talk about living across caring life, that the ways of Jesus, they begin with embracing our identity while living in our authority. With God's identity is the beloved that he speaks over us. Nothing or no one else defines us. And beautifully, nothing defines others, really. And uh, when we choose to live in the Father's love, just like Jesus' baptism, we begin to hear the Father's voice. And that's actually how we operate in our authority. One of the, I would say not the only way, but one of the foundational ways that we exercise our authorities. My dad, or my, my God is my dad, but he's also the king of the universe, which means he imparts authority to me for the sake of others, is to hear God's voice and put it in practice in my own life, but also to help others hear God's voice. And when we do sat, when we do so, uh, it's always pointing towards God's love and God's reign. Um, and then in the process, we, we find people peace. We see Jesus do that. And he was actually, his very first place he went to was his hometown. And he was subsequently rejected by those uh, who knew him the, the most. And we have to realize that the acceptance of Christ does come with the rejection by many. That we will be rejected. People will put us in a box uh, but we still model acceptance towards others even then. At the same time, we do need to befriend grief. That's part of the journey of walking with Jesus is befriending grief and eventually moving forward if we're completely rejected, but like Jesus, never turning our back completely. Um, we desire friendships. That's a big deal in church, uh, but friendships is not the goal. Rather, when we seek people of peace, we'll find some amazing friendships along Jesus' way. Um, and this happens by doing what Jesus did, welcoming others, listening, and serving. And we'll see how others reciprocate along the way. It means by just serving and seeing who else shows up. So that's actually one of the first ways that I met Casey is I was serving somewhere. And um, she was there and a couple other guys who I talk with all the time. And we became friends, not because we were looking for friends, but we were looking for somebody else to stucco this building with me. Um, and now, I mean, Matt, Courtney, and we're all we're buds. Um, it's not exactly formulaic, uh, but because uh, friends that are really extended family will arise also through prayer, having graceful conversations with also ch loving challenge, and honestly pursuing reconciliation. The best of people you're going to have conflict with, and reconciliation matters when it does not go peacefully, and it will not all the time. We then create an extended family on mission. When friends become this extended family, our shared purpose of gathering is to hear from God together 
and then take a next step with Jesus. That's actually our mission of the church. This is what Jesus did. He said, who are my brothers and sisters? Those who hear God's words and put in the practice the way he says it in Luke. Uh, we do so by deducing lies together. And what are the lies that we're walking in with and what's God's truth? We do so by recognizing that pain is a means to bring us closer to God. It's not God's fault, but a way to bring us closer to God. Um, and we recognize that a lot of our comforts get us out of the way of hearing from God. The goal, again, is to hear from God and help others while speaking for God in humility. Um, and as Larry preached, this extended family is filled with people that are different than you and I, including those we think that are below us. And no one wants to admit that, but we kind of have a lens by which we see the world. People we look up to, people we try to see eye to eye, which is a few, and people we think are below us. We have to remember that God, uh, that God provides a family that are people then different than you and I. Um, uh, yeah. And then from that family, we make disciples who make disciples. Children, we talked about this during dedications in, in Children of God, you all, require guides in our lives who lovingly invite us into God-honoring relationships while challenging us into kingdom responsibilities. The king is the reign and rule of God. It's making what's broken into a process of healing, bringing what's dark into the light. And because we're disciples, we're learners of the way, we're called to follow shepherds as well as be shepherds who take joy in people, who serve with a bold humility, and who are compelled by the love of God. In fact, that's a great litmus test for a disciple shepherd in your life. You're like, hey, this is a leader of mine. It's a guide. Is this person taking joy in people? Is this person serving or telling people to serve? And is this person compelled by the love of God? If not, I'd say run. Uh, without disciples pointing to God, we can follow celebrity leaders who believe they are the end-all, be-all. But our Lord is actually the provider and provision. So we're going to follow people who point us to God. And um, he's our lasting provision. And disciples experience the provision of God while becoming the provision of God to others. This is you stepping into you and your leadership, which is really shepherding. Uh, while we all surrender what we have, so that somehow everyone has more. And then the last couple of weeks, we talked about establishing healthy, fruitful rhythms. On the beach, we discuss that with sufficient rest comes God's sufficient revelation. If we're going, we're going, and going, we're going to, we're going to become deaf to the ear of God. That's why we need support systems in our life that help us detach daily, withdraw weekly, quiet quarterly, abandon annually. Do I like alliteration? Sure. <laughs> and then last week, as we began in the space, we talked about gathering together as an essential Sabbath rhythm that God still gives us, designed to be a blessing, but we need to prune things that are just culturally pointless while contextualizing the ancient biblical traditions. Ultimately, celebrating what God is doing in our lives. That's like, that takes us all the way to where we've been today. And I will, I'm only going to do this one time. Next week's going to be a really fun week, by the way. you got to come. Um, but that, that's, the, that's been the whole thesis, overarching summary of the series. And today I'm going to have Missy talk about what it means to live the cross-carrying life. We're going to kind of go back and forth. But I thought, just with that last note, is anybody celebrating something that God has done this week? I'd love to hear that. I think we'd all love to hear it. You're like, kind of like, whoa. Oh, sweet. Love hearing that. It could be big, small. Paula.
Awesome. Sweet potatoes. I love it. There's God winking at us. I like it. Very good. Thanks, Paula. Anybody else celebrating what the Lord's doing? Beautiful vulnerability. That's Jeb and Amanda. They're back again. I don't know what they're doing here, but Lord's up to something. <laughs> All right. Any before I introduce Missy up, anyone last one they feel the Holy Spirit butterflies? Come on, T. Believe for a Certainly. And memory lane, and it was good. It was good times. All right. Oh, thank you, Teresa. That's Teresa. She's my girl. I love her. All right. Uh, we're good. Well, I'm going to pray for Missy as she comes up and gives us a homily, and then we'll have a little Q&A. How you feeling? You ready to go? All right. Missy, by the way, is she's our partner in ministry. She's, like, on staff, but we don't have to pay her anything, which is really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she works at, uh, at Strong Families Olive Crest, who does so much work with helping at-risk children and parents, typically single moms, et cetera, uh, find housing and pre- be, basically prevent going into the, the, the welfare services child, and even child protection services. So uh, she's a saint on the land, and she's a partner with churches that help us, i.e. our aunties and uncles ministry, do the same. So, Lord, we thank you for Missy. Pray that she would preach before an audience, one good God, that you died for her, you died for us, you love loving her, and that she would experience this freedom and fun today, as uh, I know she had a week, Lord, and so you see her, and uh, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit's doing, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Missy! <laughs> I was hoping to get one of those. Louis got one, so I was hoping for one. Uh, Well, guys, it's so good to be back with you. Um, It has been so fun journeying alongside Water's Edge, and um, it's so good that you guys are here. And congratulations on your second week. You know, stay strong. You're doing it. So proud. Um, And I also love just how God has gone before Water's Edge and knowing that you guys were going to be here. Like, it was already in your story, and I just think that's so beautiful. Um, Well, like Andy said, and Andy was very kind, my name is Missy Bell. I'm the programs director of Olive Crest, which believes in transforming the lives of at-risk youth through the healing power of God, family, and community. Um, There are so many of you that I have journeyed alongside with as you've opened your homes, and so it's so good just to be here and be with you. Uh, so we're going to be in Luke 9, 21 through 27. If you want to pull out your Bible app or your Bible, whatever, however you um, read the Lord's word, um, go ahead and flip to that passage. We read it already together, um, but it's always good to have it right in front of you. His words are better than mine. So 
Uh, this is a well-known passage. Um, if you've been following Jesus for a while, you have heard this probably time and time again. And so I encourage you guys, though, to lean in this morning. I know sometimes when I hear passages that are often, you know, preached about and shared about, you know, my mind tends to wander about maybe the grocery list or the holidays coming up. But I encourage you guys to stay with me, to lean in. And when you feel yourself maybe wandering uh, to the stress of the holidays coming up, you just pray and recenter to be here fully present to hear what the Lord might have for you today. Uh, This is truly, I would say, after the resurrection, uh, crucifixion and resurrection, this is really like the second central most teaching of our faith. Um, And so uh, let me set the scene. So the disciples are in an area known as Caesarea Philippi, and this is a truly majestic area. It's about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, and this area was it and still is beautifully green. There is so much water here that everything, it's just Eden-like. Trees and shrubs and waterfalls and rivers. And it's in this Eden-like area that the disciples are going to learn that Jesus, the man that they had been journeying with, is so much more than the prophet Elijah and more than John the Baptist. He's the son of God. So verse 21, it says this, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So the son of man must suffer, be rejected, be murdered, and then he will rise again. So Christ, the son of God, had to be ridiculed. He had to be rejected, scoffed at by those that held the power, the respect, and the honor of that day. Um, I think when we like hear about this story and we think about the scribes and Pharisees, we're like, okay, those are like some guys. But to put this in context, these were the people that were, you know, the top of the totem pole, you know, top of the food chain. They were the head honchos. And he had to be rejected by those people. And even more so, he had to be rejected by the people who was supposed to know him the best, um, by his own people. Uh, Because Christ was there when God promised that he was going to bless Abraham with as many descendants as the stars. Uh, Christ was there during the time when Moses would talk to God and God would write the Ten Commandments on those tablets, right? Um, Christ was there. He was the one who inspired the holy books and the laws that would keep his people, the Israelites, safe. He had to be rejected by those who were supposed to know him most intimately, right? The scribes and the priests, these were people who read his word daily, who could rattle off those laws. And I just, when I was thinking about this passage, I was just struck by Christ had to be rejected by those who should have known him most intimately. The the level of rejection and despair, few of us will really understand, right? That level. Um, But that willingness to die for the sake of our sin must move us as his disciples. Uh, We must stand amazed at what Christ has done, that he took on the punishment, the rejection, the scoffing, the the persecution. He took what was actually meant for us, and he was raised on the third day. Christ has set the stage for us. He paid the highest price 
so he could say what's coming next in verse 23, which was this. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Um, I find it incredibly reassuring that Christ says daily. Uh, it's take up their cross daily and follow me. And I take it as a gentle reminder. I've heard some people say, you have to hear it. He said daily because you have to remember. But I actually take it as a very gentle reminder because um, it's not like maybe like a report card where you get after three months of trying really hard and then God's like, well, this semester you were like a B. You were like a B disciple, right? Or it's not like getting that like property tax in the mail and you're like, oh, wow, I should have been saving more because this is a couple thousand, right? Um, but I take it as a gentle reminder every day of, hey, today's the day. You got to take up your cross and follow me. And every day that starts over again, right? And at the end of the day, he's not grading us. He's just saying, hey, tomorrow, tomorrow's a new day. Um, which is an interesting contrast because I think it's a gentle reminder of a very serious calling, um, the cross that Christ is talking about here um, is 165 pounds. That's how much the cross weighed that Christ um, carried. And that's, I mean, in a very tangible way, that's how, mu- how many pounds it is for us to take up our cross, right? And I'm not going to brag about how much I can bench press because, uh, guys, it's a lot. I'm just, it's um, not even remotely close to 165 pounds, Um But picking up your cross is a daily reminder of grace with a heavy reminder of the the cost. So let me say it again. Picking up your cross is a daily reminder of grace with a heavy reminder of the cost. Uh, So our Strong Families ministry, of which um, those that are a part of the aunties and uncles ministry, um, is a tangible example of losing your life for Christ and taking up um, your cross. And uh, this story I'm about to share feels very vulnerable, um, but you guys are a trusted partner, so I'm going to, you know, this is not a story every church gets. Um, But two Friday nights ago, um, I was manning our hotline, or I should say I was manning the response to our hotline calls. Uh, My intake coordinator, it was her birthday, and I was like, you know what? take the night off, girly. Little did I know what was coming. Um, And then my associate, who's like the second, you know, second in command, she recently had surgery and she can't walk nor drive. And I was like, okay, it's me. I can do this. I can do this. It's been a minute. I could, it's fine. And I got a call from our, um, from the gal who was manning our hotline. And she said, hey, Missy, uh, there's a mom who's in the hospital. And she report, the report is that she fell 20 feet, um, as she was climbing over the border wall. And she needs emergency care tonight. And she has a three-year-old with her. Are you, are you able to step in? Or what do you got going on tonight? And, um, and I took a deep breath. And I was like, OK, Lord, like I'm gonna, we're going to do this. We're going to do this together. Because if we were unable to find a host family to care for that three-year-old, um, that little one would end up in Polinsky's, which is our um, it's supposed to be temporary emergency shelter for kids here in San Diego. Um, and so I'll tell you that my response when I got that was like, yes, Lord, you and I are going to do this together. But there also was this hesitation in my spirit. 
And it wasn't, no, 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 let me rephrase. It wasn't in my spirit. It was in my flesh. There was this hesitation because I was like, oh my goodness, like this is like us stepping. It feels like maybe we're stepping into something political or like, are, is there going to be a host family that is going to want to say yes to caring for this child? Um, and I happened to be with a host family that night as I'm getting this phone call. I was with them and they said, hey, what's going on? And I was like, I told them, I said, so there's this mom from Columbia. She fell. She needs emergency care. And they were like, yeah, we'll do it. And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and she was like, well, yeah, they, she only needs care for one night, right? They're just going to make sure she can, she's going to be okay. And I was like, that's what I have. Yeah, that's what the story is. And, and they were like, well, yeah, well, we could care for her for 18 hours or she could spend 18 months in foster care. So yeah, we're going to care for her for 18 hours. And um, there's nothing more simple than caring for a child regardless of their background. And this host family in one night cared for the vulnerable, for the foreigner, for the orphan. And, and, they, and they said, Missy, there's nothing more simple than caring for a child. And, you know, the host family could have said, like, hey, it's been a long week. I've, I'm stressed. I'm tired, et cetera, et cetera, right? Those thoughts come across my mind. Um, but they considered the cost and they could have had a self-indulgent faith, um, but they, they just remembered the Lord. And they said, "With this is, we have an open room, and this child is in need, and this mom needs some care, and there's nothing more simple than caring for a child. And so I'll tell you that the beginning of this hosting was really tough. Um, I went into the hospital where mom was laying, and there was dirt in her um, hospital bed because they hadn't had time to clean her yet from her fall. Um, and they both spoke Spanish, and so it was this cacophony of like trying to figure out translation and people coming in and out of the room, and I'm just there trying to care for the child. And, um, and then the little one had a hard time getting in the car, right? She had one of the most terrifying days, and it was a really challenge to get her in the car. Um, but the host family, the last hosting that they had, was a pretty hard one. Um, it ended just in a pretty tough way, and it was, in, it was just so fascinating as the Lord does because this hosting, while it started really tough, it ended up being a beautiful redemptive story for this host family. Because when we got home, you know, I helped them get the little one to their home. When we got home, um, we called dad. And I'll tell you, in my line of work, I don't see dads. I would love to see a dad. I just don't see them. Um, and we had a dad call who could talk their little one down. I see Casey's eyes sh shoot up because I'm like, how many times have you had a dad? <laughs> this many? <laughs> um, a dad called and the little one knew it was her father. And then in the next 10 minutes, we had probably six more phone calls from different relatives. There was an abuelo and an abuela and a tia. And the host family and I looked at each other just shocked because we were like, this never happens. But it was an incredible, unexpected blessing because they were losing their lives so that Christ would save it, right? They were counting the cost. And in this hosting that we thought was going to be hard and tumultuous and challenging and ended up being an encouragement for these saints, for these host families of going, this is a beautiful family. And it, there was a child who was cared for and a mom who could get rest and be watched to make sure her injuries weren't life-threatening, right? And Christ says, be my disciple. Lose your life for my sake and you will save it. 
And I find this incredibly comforting because I know my own heart. I know about my tendencies to want to have an easy night. I know about my tendencies to self-indulge or self-promote. But if I lose myself in Christ, if I live the life of a disciple and count the cost, if we as followers of Jesus give up the things that our carnal selves want, we get to create a whole new self in Jesus. And I'm convinced at the end of our life, we are not going to wish we watched more TV, binged more TV shows on Netflix, though Madam Secretary is really great, scrolled more on Instagram, or wish we shopped more. Um, But instead, we're going to reflect on our life and think about what if we lived a life that revealed that we were sold out for God and that we did his kingdom purposes, a life that revealed that we were his disciples by submitting our desires to his. Did we love enough? Uh, Did we share enough of what God has blessed us with? Um, Did we forgive those who wronged us, or did we hang on to grudges? Um, Yeah, at the end of our life, are we going to take stock about our life with Christ? The more that we are aligned with how he wants us to live, the more gracious we are, we are going to wish we were during our lives. At the end of our life, we're going to look back on how we were discipled by him and how we discipled others. And this lifelong call might make you kind of nervous. I'm like talking about the end of life. And you're like, Missy, this is a Sunday morning. Like, I thought I was here. But so this might sound like a really long calling and it might come with some thoughts of like, wait, I have to work my whole life at this. (laughs) I never arrive. Um, And I'm here to tell you, you never arrive. I know. Um, But I am here to tell you this. The more you live out your faith, the more you submit yourself to his authority, the more you spend time in the scriptures, opening your home to the orphan, the more you are going to encounter a radical grace. You aren't met by a master who says, I just want even more from you. You're met by a father who says, I love you more than you could ever fathom. And this lifelong calling is a calling for a transformed heart, not for more work. It's a transformation that is in response to his mercy on the cross. So Jesus continues on in verse 25. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? This is definitely a word for today. I think our natural inclination when we read those verses, or at least mine, are to automatically think of finances. Um, which I definitely think there's an aspect of finances in this, but I think it goes so much further than our finances. How do we gain the world? Maybe with notoriety, through aligning yourself with with the political groups that are getting the most media attention, through fancy cars, or maybe multiple education degrees, um, so that you maybe finally feel that you belong in whatever space you're in. There are many ways to lose your soul. And Christ is saying that none of it, wealth, power, fame, beauty, none of it will give it what you're looking for, will give you what you're looking for. 
A disciple does not seek his own kingdom. A disciple seeks the kingdom of God. A disciple falls down at the glory and the power and the majesty of who God is and says, not my will, but thine be done. At the end of ourself, at the end of ourself, is true riches and riches of joy. As C.S. Lewis says this, give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. Christ's bid for us to come and die is an invitation to be molded into the likeness of him and receive the fullness of spirit. As we follow Christ, we will be filled with a newness, a newness of joy. We will die to our sinful desires, and they will be replaced with the goodness of God. Uh, so let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, I am overwhelmed that you tell the wind to blow when it blows, that you tell the sun to shine and it warms us. And sometimes I tell you no as if I have the right to. God, I pray that as we learn more of what it means to be your disciple, to bear our cross, God, that you would meet us in our meager attempts and God that you would lavish your love on us God would you help remind us every day to take up our cross to live a life that is worthy of following you to be your disciple God I'm just so grateful that I am your disciple that we are your disciple God I'm grateful for the body of Christ that encourages and edifies that can help us as we just live this journey and walk with you. And Lord, until we are with you again, would you help keep our eyes fixed on you? Mm -hmm. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.